Well, our series on the church is nearing its end, and we've approached this topic with several uh, questions. Um, what is the church, anyway, is a good place to start, and we spent three weeks answering uh, that question, and then another three weeks on what are we supposed to be doing as the church. And uh, so with that trend, um, you may be thinking, well, what's the next three-part answer? Well, we're going to break that trend this morning and just spend today on this next question, and that is, how is the church structured? Uh, how is it uh, governed? Uh, and I think as a whole, as we go through this series, really intended um, to speak to a few different uh, goals. Uh, I think the first is, is to provide an entry point, an initial understanding uh, for those who may be new to the church. Uh, maybe this is, you're relatively new to the church as a whole, new to a life here at uh, Trinity Fellowship. Uh, different dynamic than what you may be used to, and so you're learning about this mission of the church. Uh, that's, uh, that's an important thing, something that we desire. Uh, and the second goal really speaks to those of us who have been in the church a little while, um, to see kind of what we're doing. Um, you know, when you look in the mirror, two things usually happen when you look in the mirror. Um, you say, okay, yeah, that's what I look like. That's... This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what we're about. And the other thing that happens, maybe this was the case this morning, I don't know, and you looked in the mirror and you go, oh, that's what I look like. Um, And so it may require a little bit bit of work after looking in the mirror. Um, So I trust that our study of the church is is prayerfully serving both of those uh, goals. This is who we are in Jesus. This is what we're to do. In Jesus is what we need to be thinking more about as we move forward uh, in life together in Christ. Uh, so this morning, our attention is on how the church is governed. What is that basic structure? Uh, why is that important uh, for us? And so we're going to use Acts 20 as our primary text. You have it printed there in your bulletin. Uh, Acts chapter 20. Um, Paul is making his last stop uh, to meet the elders at the church in Ephesus. Uh, one last visit before he goes to Jerusalem. He had spent a lot of time in Ephesus, over three years preaching and teaching. He just poured out his heart uh, into the life of this church. And so this is a very emotional stop, as you can imagine, for him uh, and the leaders as he meets them. So I'm going to read beginning at verse 17. It says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ." Now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God." Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, 
For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. That's an emotional farewell address to the leaders in Ephesus. And a good word to us. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word that you would come to us in a way that we can understand. Lord, give us ears to hear, minds to to contemplate, hearts to to listen and obey uh, your word. And we thank you for its authority, its power in our lives. And we need your help, Holy Spirit, uh, to come and to speak to us now. A greater understanding of um, how we are to, to live together as a church how your church is governed. We look to you, Lord Jesus, uh, as our King. And I pray that you would be glorified now in the proclamation of your word. In Christ's name, amen. Well, the the term govern or structure, um, really just the action word for what a government does, um, I think it can be a little scary. Um, Sometimes a little unsettling or intimidating. These are conversations that we like to steer away from, typically. Um, because it sounds so, you know, if, if something is, is being governed, you know, either we've been exposed to this through the, 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 the culture or trained by the media, for something to be governed, that sounds very restrictive uh, to us. Uh, that it's somehow to be avoided in life. You know, because it infringes upon our personal freedom, what it is we want to do and when it is we want to do it. So, you know, let's not talk about government, right? Whether it's within the family or maybe the larger church family. Um, Another reason why I think that the term government or structure puts a foul taste in our mouth is because we have seen these structures so mishandled in the past. We've seen governance abused, misused at the the smallest level within families, within businesses, within communities, and it goes all the way up. Larger corporations... To national agencies, we've seen the government uh, abused. I mean, we live in a time where those who are entrusted um, to govern may not all agree. In fact, they may even bicker or argue at times, uh, accusing one another. Um, We've seen this happen in, in our land, likely not for the last time, when governing officials who are supposed to represent us come together and, and there's no agreement and they refuse to compromise and then the government sort of shuts down. We've seen that happen. Um, Rightly, perhaps not so rightly, there's a lot of complexities that uh, go into that. But this is something we we cringe at. We go weary of um, discussion of governance and structure. Uh, And yet governance is a necessary part of life in the church, among God's people. Part of our, our everyday existence. There's structure, there's orders to our days. Your days at home, your days at school, at the office are going to be structured. We live as those under authority at home and at work, at school, um, and in the church. God, in His love for His people, uh, in love for one another, He's provided an accountability 
an order uh, within the church. The church is governed in a unique way uh, with Jesus as its very head. So there are many forms of church governance that exist within the universal church today, but regardless of what form of government a local church uh, may align with, it's these principles that are true. That Christ is ahead. All are servants in the church, and there are servant leaders um, that must be present. All of those principles for a church to grow uh, and flourish uh, in the world. And so without these principles, without this basic order and office in the church, we have confusion, we have dysfunction, we have disorder. Um, see, the, the church is going to, to find this either way. Whether it's formally through a denominational structure, whether it's through a an association or alliance or a parachurch group, it will seek help uh, in guiding its life and practice. So what structure do we see from God's Word? Um, in our mission of worship, nurture, uh, evangelism, uh, how, how is it going to guide us uh, in this? And as I mentioned uh, just a second ago, uh, both order and office uh, are necessary in the Church of Christ. We'll spend just a few minutes uh, talking about each of these. Uh, most of you know that I appreciate the game of baseball. Uh, sometimes I can even be a little competitive when it comes to playing baseball or softball, and I'll, I'll typically let the umpire know if they've made a good call. I do this far more often. Say, you know, umpire, that was a good call. Way to go, Blue. Well done. But then if the call it doesn't necessarily work in my favor, or it's going to change the outcome of the game... Um, I don't do this very often. But, you know, umpire, we, we need to, that may not have been the best call. Um, and that, that was true for uh, Coach Johnson, uh, the ump behind the plate. He made a call in accordance with league rules, but the coach didn't like it. So he burst out of the dugout, got right in the umpire's face. And so they're, you know, going at it a little bit. Finally, the umpire grabs that little book out of his back pocket and opens the page, paragraph, sentence, says, right here, I've... This is in accordance with the rule book. To which Coach Johnson said, well, you're not interpreting that rule right. And he lowers the book. He looks him right in the eye and says, I wrote the rule book. To which Coach Johnson just walks away sort of mumbling to himself. Um, the umpire knew the rules. He had the authority on the field. He wrote the rule book. The Lord Jesus has all authority on the field. Baseball, football, whatever field, but he has all authority in the church. He is the living Word of God. He reigns and rules over all creation. So his redeeming Word carries all authority in the church. And so the church structure, or the government, whatever it may be, is bound and delegated by the authority of Christ. So this, this means a couple different things practically for us. It means that the authority of the universal church, all authority of the local church, the authority of those called and appointed in the church is only something that is declared, that is spoken. What the church teaches, what it encourages, what it supports, what it doesn't support is to be grounded upon the Word of Christ, and what the Scriptures say. It's the power and authority of the Word that is declared by the church. So right, right in tangent with that then means that the church cannot add or subtract to this Word in any way. 
The church cannot enforce doctrines or require practices that are not founded firmly in the Word of God. Uh, Galatians chapter 1. Here's where Paul warns, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul says you can't change this. You can't add to this gospel. In Revelation 22, this is Jesus and the Spirit through the Apostle John. It says, Warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. The church can establish no new laws or practices. It is guided by the living Word, the very presence of the Holy Spirit. So within the order of the church, there is authority. It's the authority of Christ and, and His Word that's represented, that's declared in the church. And so to, to the extent then that any church governance or governments require obedience to rules and laws that are contrary to the Word, then the body of Christ, that includes each individual within the body of Christ, has the conscious freedom to disobey that which is out of accord with the Word of God. We're going to be moving in next, starting next week. Um, you know, moving into a month where we remember a special time in the life of the church where this was done. Um, different pastors and theologians, they stood up to the abuse of authority within the larger Roman church. Apostolic authority bound to the apostles as Christ identified in His Word. And so that canon is now closed. That was the very catalyst for what we know as the Protestant Reformation. So the authority of the church, those appointed to lead in the church, as a spiritual gospel authority, ultimately looking to Christ. The church that Christ bought with His own blood in Acts chapter 20. Christ is all rule and authority. Order includes authority. Order is modeled in the organic life of the church. Uh, each member of the church, each member of the body is dependent on one another uh, as we live for Christ. Um, this is something we've talked about in weeks past, that the gifts that God has given to each, serving, building up the church, um, all of our gifts, whether that is speaking or serving or uh, ad administrating, all, all serving that same goal. Uh, they all are exercised mutually. Um, that's true of government in the church. It's a shared responsibility. Uh, each of us here, as we encourage one another, as we rebuke one another in the Lord, remember who, where the authority rests. It's not with us. It's with Jesus. Are we, part we are actually participating in church government. Sat down with a friend not too long ago. He kind of plopped himself down across from me. He says, okay, how you doing? Because last night, you know, you, you seemed a little off. What do you mean I seemed a little off? Who are, you know, he, he had that, we had that relationship. Um, I mean, that's, that's church government. <laughs> that's uh, government and discipline. How are you doing? How can we encourage each other? Um, how can we persuade each other otherwise if, if need be? And those that have the gift of leadership are appointed by the church to exercise authority. They do that jointly. Um, Jesus called 12 apostles, not one. Um, he sent his disciples not all out by themselves to different regions. He sent them out in pairs. Uh, 
Acts 14, it says that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders, plural, in the church. So when Paul calls these leaders from Ephesus, well, how many did he call? We're not sure, but it was more than one. Church government is to be exercised jointly among the people of God, among those appointed in places of leadership. So the order built into the church, it includes this authority, includes a joint exercise of governance, a plurality of representatives. Uh, and before we leave the order of the church for the office in the church, I want to apply this just a little, little deeper for us. When all authority in the church rests upon Christ and His Word, um, it, it's not only encouraging, but it's stabilizing for us as a church. Uh, you know, sometimes a church runs into hard times. Sometimes it, we run up against just the rocks of, of life. Um, when every time we turn, there seems to be something you know, out of sorts, complaining, arguing, misunderstanding, accusing. This all happens uh, in our midst. Um, but the church isn't ours. It's Christ's. He runs it. He controls it. He grows it. He shrinks it. He sustains it. The church is His. Not mine. Not yours. He has all authority on the field. And we can, we can play ball as a church. In confidence. Pursue His mission with confidence because it belongs to Him. That should be an encouragement for us. Um, order in the church. There's office uh, within the church appointed by Christ. I think... Maybe the most important thing for us to grasp this morning um, is that each of us occupies office in the church. As we use our gifts to serve one another, to serve those outside the community of faith, we are exercising the, the diakonos, diakonia of the church. Um, so let me read a little bit from Acts chapter 6. Um, you can turn there if you'd like. I'll read the first six verses. Acts 6, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom, you, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on him, on them. You know, the evil one is going to use any number of tactics in his attempt to destroy the church particularly one that is growing like we see in the early church here in Acts. Um, and if the devil can't get his way through persecution and through all-out oppression, he's going to use distraction to do that. Um, and so the apostles, rather than taking the bait here of distraction and the complaints, whether they were valid or not, they call this first, you know, call a congregational meeting here Seek the wisdom of the church. And then by meeting together, they affirm the importance of this service, of addressing uh, these complaints. Now notice, the apostles never say, nor do they imply in any way, that the ministry of prayer and preaching of the word 
is somehow more significant or more important than the serving of tables. Did you catch that? The service, which all the church is taking part in, is in no way inferior to the ministry of the Word. It's just different. It's a different service. The apostles are called, devoted to a different diaconia, and one that was so very necessary uh, in a growing church. Um, So in a way, we're all deacons. We're all deacons. We're called to humble service and helps within the church. Um, Yet the New Testament identified those who were appointed specifically for the office of deacon. Um, And there's many that believe this is the first example of uh, the designation of deacons that Paul describes later in 1 Timothy uh, 3. Um, So these men are put in charge or, or given oversight over meeting the practical needs within the church, which everyone in the church is entrusted to. All of us are called, all of us equipped to serve Christ in the church, uh, in the places He calls us. So we go about this diaconia, this service, um, when we preach, when we play an instrument, when we uh, greet at the door, when we hand out bulletins, when we grab a paintbrush, um, when you help at the food pantry, when you help load the truck, deliver a meal. Um, Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This is our service as officers in Christ's church. In general, and it's only by degree that it differs from the specific office in the church. I can remember sitting just a few rows back in class Uh, the dear uh, pastor and theologian, he would often speak with great emotion as he shared his heart for the church and his heart for Christ. On this particular afternoon, we were closing up the class and there weren't very many of us in there. And he he closed his book and he sort of leaned in and he got real quiet. So we had to kind of lean in to hear him. Um, And he says, you all are not called to fix or save the church. Um, It will destroy you to believe that you are the solution to everyone's problems. Um, This should remind you to pray. And so we all kind of left the class. um, And I was, I I thought this a lot of times while in St. Louis, but maybe Chipotle is hiring, you know, down the street. Um, I thought it then, but it was, it was this response, it was this just humble, um, you know, just the humble sobering word that really, even though I may have thought that, just the weightiness of it affirmed the call to be a minister of the gospel. Um, the Lord equips all those to serve within the church. Some he calls to a specific office to the responsibility and the great joy of eldership in the church. Again, every believer is called to use the word in worship, in the nurture of the church, in evangelism, the elder just to a different degree. The goals of our service in the church are the same. The means is the same, but the elder is called, appointed by God, recognized by the church to lead and shepherd the flock. 
These are the men from Ephesus that Paul addresses in Acts 20. He spent time with them. He trained them. Now he exhorts them. He exhorts them with tears to follow in his example for the health of the flock. Now we're not going to look at the qualifications of elder or deacon that you find. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, Paul goes into more detail there. But we do need to be aware of the responsibilities and challenges of this specific office in the life of the church. Paul instructs this group of elders in Acts 20 to care for the flock. The word he uses there is shepherd. A shepherd leads and feeds the sheep. You know Psalm 23. It says that that the shepherd, the rod and staff of Christ, our true shepherd, comforts us. I mean, they're, they're both used, they're used for different purposes. Staff is used to provide a direction and care, the, the feeding, the leading, the teaching of the flock. The rod was a tool for correction and discipline. So those called to eldership in the church must hold the rod and the staff in uh, balance. Um, because it's the rod and the staff that bring comfort to God's people. The flock of Christ wants and needs faithful shepherds who delight in the blood-bought lambs of God entrusted to their care. Um, so the apostle issues a warning to the elders. He says, be alert. You are not immune to stumbling. You're not immune from leading God's people astray. And this is really prophetic for the apostle because he's going to talk to Timothy a little later and that exact same thing has happened in the church. Um, those within the church causing divisions and leading others away from the true gospel. Be alert. Keep remembering how I warned you and instructed you with tears. So we need to remember that, that those entrusted with, with leadership in the church, they can fail. Uh-huh. They will fail. Uh-huh. They are our brothers among brothers and sisters in the, in the church. With no power in and of themselves, but sit under the authority of the Word. And while the church recognizes and, and chooses them for leadership, and promises to submit to their leadership and obedience to Christ. Their authority comes only through the Holy Spirit that enables them to serve. Um, so these elders, you know, they were called to pay careful attention to themselves, careful attention to the flock. Um, later, Paul would instruct young Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, reprove, exhort with complete patience and teaching. To be honest here, speaking against false teaching, false belief, that's not really popular today. Um, certainly not outside the church, but even inside the church. Um, itching ears have a way of finding what it is they want to hear or think they need to hear. Uh, but the responsibility of the elder, specifically the minister of the word, is to guard the flock from error and uh, establish it in the truth of the Word. Otherwise, it will be scattered. Scattered like the, the people of Israel of old. Remember, Ezekiel said they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all of the wild beasts. Um, so here you're thinking, okay, Brad, thanks for telling us about your job just a little bit. Um, but let me apply this more directly to the rhythm of life in the church. Um, and we've seen from the Scripture that the spiritual authority of the church, those called to lead in the church, is found only in service to the Word. But the reality is we love to admire, um, 
people in general we love to, to hold up and admire those that we, we look to either for personality or for, for giftings or virtue. And so we must fight the temptation to create a hierarchy of servants in the church. All are called to serve. All are office bearers of Christ, only in degree that the specific office is uh, regarded. So the authority of elder or teaching elder of the word lies only in the exercise of the service to which it's been called. Um, because the men themselves have nothing to admire. Believe you me. Um, it is through the authority of the word. I think we also need to remember, as we think about office within the church generally and specifically, that everybody is not called to do everything within the church. Um, nor should they. Um, those called to the specific service of the word need to focus their time and, and energy there. It doesn't mean that your pastor isn't doing anything else um, or shouldn't be doing anything else, but needs of mercy and care and administration can and should be taken on by others uh, willing to help and able to help in that way. Um, this is something I want to thank you for. Even in the short amount of time that uh, I've been a part of life here at Trinity, you have allowed me that time to search the Word and to, uh, to pray over you, to pray with you. And so I'm, I'm deeply grateful for this. Uh, and the way as a body we seem to recognize uh, a need and, uh, and act upon uh, that need. I'm so very grateful. Uh, so when the next... You know, large government, U.S. government shutdown may be. We don't know when that's going to happen. Um, what we do know is that God has established order and office in the church that will not be defeated, that will not go bankrupt, bankrupt His purposes. Church government, those called to lead, they're fallible. They will make mistakes in applying the Word of Christ. But this structure, this government is designed by God will be used by Him for His glory. In Acts 20, it shows us that the church belongs to God the Father. The church is redeemed by the blood of Christ. And it is the very Spirit that oversees and anoints those to serve within the church. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for the governance of His church. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank You that You haven't left us to figure this out on our own that you have shown us what this order and the office in your church looks like. This is your grace to us, Father. We need to, to live and to grow together. I pray that you would grow not only our understanding, but how this is lived out practically. Um, whether it's in our, a smaller group gathering at a, a study or different times throughout the day, throughout the week. Uh, Lord, that we would follow you in humility and obedience, considering this order and the office that we each carry in serving one another in service to you. We do pray this in Christ's name. Amen.